Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Ed Keating. He is co-founder and chief data officer at Cannabis Media. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the cannabis industry in terms of how we approach it from a technology and media side. There's uh, the one thing I love about the cannabis business, the cannabis industry, is there's so many facets. And as we grow and mature and scale cannabis, all these things need to get figured out. And so there's lots of facets of cannabis that have opportunity, that have need, and companies like Cannabis Media are filling those needs specifically for cannabis. And I'm excited to have this conversation. Uh, Ed's been in this a while, has a lot of good insights, has some interesting kind of data and reports we're going to talk about. But it's fun to kind of hear some of the, the more detailed information about really what's going on in cannabis and how do we really understand where the market is and where it's going, what are the trends. And Ed is the guy. So I'm excited to have this conversation. With that, Ed, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Bruce. I'm excited to be here and uh, looking forward to this discussion. Yeah. So why don't we talk about background first? I always love to kind of understand guests' professional background, how they got into cannabis, what was the story? There's there's always an interesting kind of journey that people go on. What was it that got you into cannabis? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I've always worked in 
what I'd call regulated industries. I've got a background in product management and strategy, and I've always worked in content and software kind of spaces. So this includes securities law, corporate law, human resources, you know, worked at companies like Walters Kluwer, Edgar Online, business and legal resources. So very much sort of, you know, regulatory kind of information. But about six years ago, I remember coming home from work one day, this is the story part, and on NPR, they were talking about an upcoming, um, vote on cannabis in the state of Florida. And they said the magical thing to a guy in regulatory publishing, every state has its own rules and regulations. <laughs> Bingo. Ding, 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 so yeah, ding, 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 because that means that compliance is a nightmare and yeah. therefore you need a source to help you understand it. So I went home that night and uh, got the URLs for Marijuana Law Reporter and Marijuana Law Reports because I'm that's thinking so that's the angle to go. And then I talked to my co-founder the next day as we went for a bike ride. I said, Larry, we got to look at the cannabis space. So that's really the genesis of you know, how we got there. And prior to that, I had done some research on, of all things, liquor license information in Connecticut when everybody started making public data available. I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, who knew there were 2,000 licenses in Connecticut? And look, there are violations on them too. So I thought (laughs) there might be something there. And that was like 10 years ago. So combine those two things, suddenly realize, hey, there may be a business here. Well, and it, so explain a little bit about why did you see that opportunity? What was, what was your yeah. background in kind of these regulated spaces that knew, that gave you that kind of insight or, or you know, yeah. caused those bells to go off for you? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I, I'd also spent a lot of time in addition to those companies I mentioned at the Software and Information Industry Association. So I ran what was called the content division. So kind of had the catbird seat on yeah. all sorts of big companies and small companies in the space. We interviewed lots of companies before they presented. So we just got some really interesting insights into what people do to track information. So at the end of the day, cannabis media would fit into what's called directory publishing, kind of you know information about mm-hmm. businesses or people or companies in a space. And as we were exploring this you know, five years ago, we're like, there's nobody who's doing this now. Nobody has created that database of record for for this space. And when I went back to Connecticut's data, you know, I was done with the liquor licenses. There wasn't a business there really. I was shocked and delighted to see, wow, they're tracking all the cannabis licenses in Connecticut with the same software they did the liquor ones. So mm. that's where we first started to gather the data. And then we looked around and like, oh, look, Colorado has information on licenses. And so does Washington. And we just built it one state at a time from there. And uh, so it, it was really just realizing that there wasn't a database of record for the industry for people to be able to check and see how big is this industry? How many licenses are there? So that's all we've been doing. And we've really made it a priority to stay true to the license. Like we are about licenses and that is what we track and focus. And that has helped us not get distracted. Yeah. And why was that at the time? Is this like people didn't see the need? People didn't know how to do it. They didn't have the technical expertise. I mean, where, why was this opportunity available to you? I think it was just because the industry was growing so fast and it was still, quote unquote, new, you hadn't had a lot of interlopers coming in from other industries yet. Like, you know, if you think about the operations at uh, some of the cannabis companies, I'm sure you serve, they'd get to have people come in from Coca-Cola and Molson Coors with, you know, CPG experience or same way they didn't have many information company people coming in to say, hey, we needed a commodity pricing system here to track the wholesale price of weed or, hey, we need, you know, legal news and digest 
to track lawsuits, or we need to know the local rules and regs. And all those examples I just gave are companies that are in the space now with people who brought in transplanted experience. It's interesting. I mean, do you think you're, give me a sense of how you kind of um, evaluated your timing? Because I find sometimes in these industries, you know, people come in and with these kind of situations and it's and it's too early, right? Like they, yeah. they build yeah. a product or they build a service like this and, and it takes two years for anything to happen because the industry just doesn't need it yet versus sometimes it's like, hey, you know, we just nailed it and people were starting to ask for it and we happen to be in the right spot. Where do you place yourself in terms of timing when you started working on this? So we started five years ago and it was just like, we want to be in the space and we weren't quite sure. Like I still had that license idea in my head with yeah. the liquor information, but you know, we weren't jumping into that with both feet yet. I would say we were early. So I remember almost mm-hmm. a year later, I was at an MJ Biz conference in Florida talking to people as we had gathered information. I said, how do you find leads? Mm-hmm. And I'd have really interesting conversations. It was a slow conference, so had plenty of time to talk to the vendors. Mm-hmm. And they were asking, well, you know, we'd love to get that kind of information. That would be helpful. Would you guys actually do emailings for us? So even then, people started to use the word CRM, which is something that we actually didn't put into the product for a while. But still, I think we were ahead of our time. We signed up some customers soon after in that first year. That was like 2016. But it was really mm-hmm. 17, 18, and certainly 2019, where people realized this is a great way to reach the marketplace. And I, I would say that our rise coincided with the markets. Yeah. And, and now as you look at 2020 with COVID, there are no trade shows to go to. How are you <laughs> yeah. going to meet those, yeah, exactly. you know, those 100,000 licenses that, that we track? Well, you're probably not going to drive to their offices, yeah. but you might want to call them, reach them on social media, or email mm-hmm. them. And if that's your plan, Cannabis Media can help you get there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, give us a sense of kind of how things built. I mean, you mentioned that you were kind of starting in Connecticut and you kind of went state by state, but I guess was this, you know, you sat down in, in some kind of strategy room and, you know, had a map of the U.S. and sort of putting dates on states and say, when do you want to tackle them? Or was it much more organic? How, how did this unfold? Uh, it's a little bit like that. It was more, there were just a couple of us, me and my co-founder, really. So I was that researcher trying to figure out, okay, where do we go next? You know, where's the data and trying to figure it all out. So it was good because it it helped me really get an understanding of the data and also how inconsistent the information mm-hmm. was across states. So sort of like that NPR voiceover at the beginning of my understanding of the market, everything yeah. is different by states, which I knew from other markets I'd worked in, but it was really true in, in cannabis. So we didn't necessarily have any grand plan, but we started to look, obviously, well, which states have approved it? it? You know, Back then, it was a smaller list. So that helped us put a ring fence around it. And then, well, where can we get the data? And then it also helped us start to see where we might need to use other resources, like making direct requests to the government because the information is not available, and, and sort of asking for the data instead, which uh, has become of increasing importance in the last year. So um, it was it was organic, and then as we grew, it became more planful. And as hemp has come to be a big part of our database, that's become even more so because the number of licenses that are generated by the hemp industry vastly outweigh the new licenses that are coming out of cannabis. And so let's just kind of walk through, look, what data do you actually have? I mean, you do, we, we talk about the licenses, but I mean, is it just the license number? Like, what? How deep can you go and, or, or how deep do you go in terms of what you can actually find out publicly and then how do you augment that information? So we track, I'm going to say, it, it may be upwards of 60 fields of data per license. And okay. some of those are... Basically, we start with 
whatever the state has. Mm -hmm. And we start there for a couple of reasons. It's a source of truth. If you think mm -hmm. about the state and uh, a license holder, at the end of the day, it's a transaction between you and me. So mm -hmm. the, the regulator and the regulated, they both need that information to be current and accurate. The state, because they want to get money and make sure that their citizens are safe. Yep. And the license holder, because it is an asset, they don't want to lose it. For example, in Rhode Island, just last week, they announced they're going to issue new licenses. The annual cost will be 5 Hundred thousand dollars. Jesus. Compare yeah. that to Oklahoma, where it's twenty five hundred dollars a year. So it's a valuable asset. Differs by state. So yeah. we we begin with the state, and we get whatever ever information is possible. It varies greatly. Sometimes we get contact information: who's the owner, what's their email, what's their phone, what's their address. Lately, the address information is becoming harder and harder to get as states pull back on that for safety reasons, robberies, etc. So um, mm. we get whatever information we can. Then I have a research team that goes and digs in and tries to figure out what they can manually, just digging into new licenses, finding out yep. what's going on. Following that, we have a phone team that calls and validates some of the information we got and also asks what I would call market research questions. So, oh, okay, Bruce, your dispensary, what is your point of sale software? Oh, okay, mm -hmm. great. And what is your or CRM, terrific. How many employees do you have? So we just try and paint an interesting picture of that of that license. In addition, we may get information, the size of the facility, how many acres they have under cultivation, really whatever we can get that we think paints a great picture. And then we finally invite the license holders themselves to claim the license to get a free version of our software so that they can see everybody in their state, let's say, that has a license. Because I know that our interface is way better than whatever you're going to get on any state website. So it's easier to sort through, search through, and help you make connections. And then there's a whole host of other data points. Some of the more interesting ones are in medical states, we try and get the applications that were filed to get the license. So mm -hmm. if you're really a cannabis nerd and you want to really understand how Columbia Care got into Ohio or Florida, that data is there. I mean, some of those applications are thousands of pages, so it's not casual reading, but it does provide insight. We also track a lot of news articles, so we are looking at that information constantly, as well as violations. So depending on where you fit in the cannabis value chain and what your interests are, like if you're an insurance broker, or real estate or whatever you know mm -hmm. hard goods you sell or services chances are we've got information that we've gathered that's either public or quasi public that will provide insights that you're not going to get in an aggregated fashion anywhere else yeah and what what's that conversation like cuz i can see on one hand you know like everyone wants everyone else's data but it may not want to give up their own data <laughs> like, yeah. how do you kind of you know convince people to kind of provide the data what's what's that what, yeah. what's that argument look like well a lot of the data we get without having to bring in the license holder. It's really when we start doing phone calls and whatnot yeah. that we try and get them to participate. And we actually get some of them who are now paying us for access because they see it as a way more efficient way yeah. to contact people who might be able to either provide them with product or, in more cases, help them sell the inventory they have. Like, hey, I've, I've grown this and I need to be able to contact everybody in this market, especially mm -hmm. through on the hemp side where you're not dealing uh, with the same kind of state borders that you are on cannabis. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of interesting in terms of ways to encourage people. The other element in that sort of four part series of starting with the state and 
and ending with getting a license holder to claim is we also have a team that works with trade associations and we partner with them so that you know they have access uh, to our product and you know can use it to see who they might have as potential future members and they also work with us to help us provide information about their members so that we can understand who's out there and you know where there may be other opportunities to get information about licenses. Got it. Yeah, so it's kind of a like I'm um, the benefit of being able to access the the general industry data outweighs concerns I have about providing my individual. Yeah, we we hope so. And and you know, obviously we're respectful. If somebody says I do not want to be part of your database, please don't yeah. have people contact me. You know, that that is removed within minutes. Yeah. You know, maybe an hour, but you know, yeah. we don't want to you know put anybody at any burden. You got to keep either. your kind of keep your reputation yeah, exactly, clean on exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. So as you've kind of built out this database, I mean, what what has been the easy and what have been the hard parts of collecting the data? Or because what have you learned about <laughs> like, yeah. what, what's easy and what's hard to collect and why? Yeah, so surprisingly, some of the things that you think would be easy are not. So one key piece of data that we need and want to have is quite simply the license number because mm. that should be unambiguous and it helps us distinguish yeah. if we get new information, hey, is this new or it's is like this an, an update? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. we have our own cannabis ID that we have penned to every record, but we need something from the state. And yeah. there are a lot of cases where, where we have had to do Freedom of Information Act requests to get that data. And in some cases have been denied. Like, really? nope, none of your business. And it's like, really? Every other state does this. Nope, nope, nope. We're not going to make it available. So that's been a bit of a head scratcher, but we <laughs> have learned through hard work that for those companies that are public, they often will share that in their management's discussion and analysis if you go dig deep enough. Mm. Um, so that's kind of kind of interesting. So sometimes the mundane information is challenging to get. Um, I would say that you know on the easy side, social media is is typically something that's easy to find, but it depends where in the value chain you are. Obviously, if you're a customer facing license like mm-hmm. a uh, dispensary or retailer. You want to be found. Yeah, exactly. So you, there's people there to answer the phone. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, hi, yeah, this is Bob. You know, how can I help you? So yeah. uh, that works. But as you proceed further back to, let's say, manufacturers and processors, they may not be interested or willing to share any information. And certainly by the time you get all the way back to cultivators, mm, you're probably yeah. not going to, you're just going to get voicemail. So that's been uh, just a learning for us. But, you know, we, we get smarter. We find out that most of the cultivators or many, like to use Instagram to show off their their, mm-hmm. their grows. So we encourage our customers, if you're trying to reach a cultivator, try and work through that channel because yeah. you're likely to be more effective. So so it really depends on the data and certainly on the states. Some states like Arizona make no public data available whatsoever and, and, and asking the government to provide it yields a no. So it really has been a, a fascinating journey to find what's available, what's not, and then are there ways to, to get at that data. Yeah. And uh, tell me how, how do you, I mean, I guess, how do you classify or how do you sort of segment the industry? I mean, you mentioned hemp, you know, and mm-hmm. obviously that, you know, there's a just a different different regulatory reality that hemp is under versus, you know, cannabis, you mentioned the medical versus, you know, the adult use programs. I mean, where, how do you kind of bucket this? Yeah. You know, when we talk about quote unquote cannabis, what what's included for you? So for us, there's a couple ways to look at it. In terms of data, we cover every license that is issued by the state. We no longer try and track local licenses because fascinating while they are, they will at some point be duplicated by a state license. So mm-hmm. that, that's one 
a hard, fast rule that we adhere to now. So everything, though, from cultivation to manufacturing, distribution, testing, consumption, lounges, tribal licenses, et cetera, yeah, we geez. include all that, and our customers can segment it based on, on what they want. The other way that we segment it is uh, looking at how frequently the state is issuing information. So especially when cannabis was cranking out lots of new states, you know, coming on board, we put some in a bucket of volatile, i.e. they produce a lot of licenses on a basis that we can't track. It's just, you know, like Oklahoma, California, they're just throwing stuff out like crazy. Uh, although by tracking Oklahoma, I can tell you that they've had their lowest quarter of issuance for dispensaries. Yeah, There's probably about a hundred, whereas at one point it was 500 and a quarter. So, so, you know, there's those kind of things that, that, that we find after that, active uh, license issuance. So that's where a state is producing sort of a healthy number of licenses on sort of a, a steady cadence, like a Florida. You know, every month, every week, they're pushing out licenses, but there's only so many license holders in the state. So we're not going to see a thousand come out, but we're going to mm-hmm. see a lot. And then after that, we kind of move into dormant. Like here in Connecticut, there is a fixed number of licenses. That number will not change until yeah. the Department of Consumer Protection says, hey, you know, we hit 100,000 patients. We need more stores. Let, let's get going. So, yeah. so we bucket it that way, and that helps us sort of keep track of how to go back. On the hemp side, it's a little different because what we're learning is that this is really a farm-type commodity. It yeah. might as well be corn, soybeans, et cetera. So it just moves to a different cadence in terms of how these licenses are issued. Sometimes the period of licensure is one, two, or even three years. Well, okay, well then how often do we need to go back to it? Also, most of the licenses in hemp are for growers. I think one of the last times I looked at it last fall and and Mm. just did a a check, it was somewhere around 80% of the licenses for hemp were for growing. Well, guess what? Those are farmers. They have other crops too. There's not a lot of change to their social media. Their email address is probably, you know, eddyk at aol.com like it's been for the last 20 years. That's not going to change. So so the frequency with which we go back to that is going to be lower because there is no social media. Or maybe there's a Facebook page with a cow on it, but it's not the same kind of dynamic that we see on the cannabis side. So, So hemp, we're still trying to make sure we're characterizing it correctly because there's not much volatility, but we do find that the states issue licenses en masse, places like Tennessee. We're right now working through a bunch of Virginia licenses where there's just a whole raft of them coming out and it takes some work to sift through that information. Yeah. So let's talk about what you can do with the data. Now that you've amassed this, you know, all this information about the license and the license holders and the industry, like what are the what are the things that you can start to pull out of that? How do you use that? How do you make it useful for people? Tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, so we give our customers access to all the information really they could ever want. So because you know there's all the data at, at the heart of it, but what's really important is the functionality we've wrapped around it. So you know despite being able to sort and filter and whatnot, once you've done all that, we've built in CRM functionality so that if you're managing accounts, let's say, or you're a sales manager, you've got a way to have your team essentially own some of these accounts. And Ed is reaching out to Bob at... One two three alternative LLC, and you know mm-hmm. what's that sales process like? In addition, and really most importantly, is we just launched version six of our software, where we redid the entire email engine, and it has a ton of functionality that really helps out our clients who use us as a marketing platform. So it's you know, think of it, if you will, like Mailchimp for cannabis, yeah. um, and it tells you when is the best time for you to send. 
What kind of opens have you got? What kind of click rates have you got? Predictively, Bruce, when should you send based on past performance? When should you send based on when your peers slash competitors are are sending? So we've really tried to make it a much smarter system so that you can reach the people that you need to reach. In terms of the data itself, we have a lot of ways for people to segment it. First of all, by cannabis or hemp, by country, by activity. So do you want to reach cultivators? What is the status of the license? We have found that some people, based on where they are in the sales cycle, they'd Mm -hmm. like to find out license holders who are at the application stage because they need to sell a big ticket item that's going to have to get decided early on, like uh, security systems or safes. Now, a lot of states do not provide that information, but those that do, we try and get it in there so that those people can get in there at the right time. We also track a lot of attributes, like do we have an address, phone, email, sort of the standard B2B contact information. Um, Mm -hmm. We track who are the companies that own these licenses, which is really important, especially with public companies and MSOs. Like, how many licenses does Green Thumb Ministries have? What about CureLeaf? Where are they? What trade associations do they belong to? I mean, just... You know, it goes on and on, and depending on what you're after, you know, we should be able to help you get that collection of licenses that's going to help you and your sales and marketing team meet your business competitive intelligence and sales intelligence needs. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's kind of it's easy to create a lot of data. I find. <laughs> and that's yes, the question yes. is like, how do you affect it? Because and you can get very overwhelmed with that, or you can get very kind of analysis paralysis of oh, well, let's start asking all these kind of rabbit hole questions, <laughs> you know, and being able to just kind of break it down. To it, well, what do you want to achieve? Like, I, I have a company that I've worked with for a while that does this with the uh, Department of Building information, and they scrub all that to be able to provide it to, like contractors and stuff like that. But it's, it is this question: is like, well, well, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to reach owners that have you know that have you know applied for such and such, and I want to sell them windows or something like that. You know, so like knowing what is the thread, like what, mm-hmm. if you have this information, what does it tell you? Or if you're trying to figure this out, what information might we have that could indicate that indirectly to give you some strategy? Strategy. And it sounds like really that's the value of this is once you can kind of figure out these triggers and kind of the, these sort of data points, it helps you figure out oh, who should you talk to when. Well, absolutely. And, and that who part is significant. We just rolled out over the last week an enhancement where we went back through all of the contact data that we had. And just as you said, what other data is there that tells us something? So if I know, Bruce, that your title is Vice President of Cultivation, that tells me two things. Your level, VP, Mm -hmm. and your area of expertise, cultivation. So we went through and we mapped several hundred terms and words to help us do that automatically now. Whenever new data comes in for Ed Keating, chief data officer, well, I'm going to be at the executive level or C-level, and I'm going to be, let's say, technology. Or the chief grower is going to be uh, director level and cultivation. So we're trying to help people fine-tune who they're reaching because, let's face it, this is an industry that is being pummeled by the can of serious, the can of curious, and the can of clueless. And um, <laughs> our job is to help people get to the folks who really need their solutions, not just uh, permit and, and foment spray and pray campaigns, which doesn't yeah. help anybody. So yeah. we're really trying to work hard on that so that people can really reach the targets that they want. Yeah. And in terms of you know things that you've kind of gleaned about the industry or or trends like what are some of the things that you've been able to kind of see or or insights you've been able to develop over time you know as as you've amassed this anything interesting or curious that has come up as you've looked at the data from a data issuance standpoint 
especially this year, we're seeing states shutting off data and making it hard to get, uh, mm. which is good because there are companies out there, we get emails all the time like, hey, would you like a list of you know 10 million people who are going to this trade show? And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're just scraping information. So uh, we think that's going to uh, maybe help that part of the industry wane a bit. Mm-hmm. On the hemp side, we're seeing lots of licenses being issued, but we do know that in other states it's declining because there was an issue where people didn't make a lot of money last year. There's a lot of hemp yeah. still sitting in barns and you know, and talking to people and sort of seeing in the licensure where in some cases it's contracting. And then a third one that I'd say is a phenomenon that we are working on and we're doing this manually. We really, you know, the software is helping us a bit, but we are working diligently to stack licenses. And by that, we mean if there is a set of records of, let's say, cultivators in California, it's 100 licenses. They're all at the same address. Well, if you're on the sales or marketing side or you're trying to model this out, Mm. Bruce, that's one license 100 times over. So it can be reached, let's say, with one visit in your car, one phone call or one email. So we're working to do something that we call stacking, where we're essentially saying, this is a facility, this is a business. So over time, I hope to have a deliverable that will show the industry how many businesses are yeah. in the space. Because licenses are interesting, but it's a, it's a discrete piece of data that is a proxy for a business, yeah, exactly. but it's not as precise as I'd like. And as a chief data guy, you know, you're always <laughs> striving for that. Like, darn it, I know it's there someplace. And but what we have found is that okay, you're in Colorado. There's seven manufacturers all in the same building. Well, they must be stacked. And then you dig down that next level and you see, geez, they're all owned by different people. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a shared kitchen. So yeah. that's why we can't just say, yeah, let's just group all these things by address and call it a day. I mean, we could, but it would be imprecise, inaccurate, and we would want to mislead people. So in terms of timely, accurate, and comprehensive, sort of the three, uh, the holy trinity of data, we really strive for accuracy. I'd I'd rather be late than be wrong because, you know, late has its implications, but being wrong tends to have bigger ones. Yeah, and longer term and undermines credibility. And and where where do you see this going? Like as you kind of look at the, uh, look at the industry, you know, is is there data that, you know, new new data that you're looking to acquire, or new new data you think is going to be interesting to the industry, either uh, mm-hmm. you know original source data or you know composite data that, as you think through the coming you know quarters yeah. and years, is going to be important to people. Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see first off what happens on the trade show side. Like if those don't come back or they come back in a weird way, what will our customers demand require from us in terms of data? Like how will that get to be more interesting mm-hmm. in terms of other data sets? One area that we focused on is what vendors are these license holders using? So we just finished up a report a few weeks ago that tracked over 320 companies that are permitted to use the metric system in uh, the metric software Mm -hmm. in 14 states, 13 states, as well as leaf data systems in Washington and starting to see what kind of footprint those companies have, like, you know, a flow hub or a bright map or biotrack, like how many states are they permitted to, you know, connect and how many licenses therefore might they be putting themselves in front of? So it gives you a sense of, of, of market footprint, which is kind of interesting. So working more with that to see what we can learn from our license holders. Like, who are you using, Bruce, as your yeah. software? And do you like them? Like, mm-hmm. right now, we're doing phone calling to a lot of dispensaries as we prepare our third uh, point-of-sale market share report. Mm-hmm. And we're asking people... 
who are you using for your CRM software? And we're hearing a lot of people who aren't using it. So that's essentially, obviously from a B2B marketing standpoint, it's sort of the early signs of perhaps purchase intent. Now, they're not saying yeah. I need one, but they're saying I don't have one. So if you're a salesperson, you might be thinking that's good data to get. So we, we see those as data that we're trying to generate on our own. In terms of other data that's out there, some interesting things that we've noticed in the past are some states are making product catalogs available. Like what, what products are authorized and mm-hmm. okay to be sold in the state? Now, those are gigantic lists and they tend to be tied to different issuers. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It gets us a little bit away from the license, but in some ways it's a licensed product. So, you know, I've been keeping my eye on that for a while, but yeah, we're not sure that there's really a market for it yet. Uh, we also think that um, keeping an eye on what's happening with publicly traded companies is always interesting because there's a yeah. lot of data there. I, I used to work for a small publicly traded company and th- there's a lot of data that they are required to disclose. So you can find out a lot of keen information that uh, if you know where to look, yeah. Uh, can can be quite insightful. So um, so those are a couple areas that uh, you know we're sort of keeping our our eye on and just watching what the states are doing, especially as they are trying to handle different license situations mm-hmm. like you know minority ownership and and things yeah. like that. So um, so that's one that we're definitely keeping an eye on because a lot of the trade associations are very keen on that too. Yeah, Ed, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you about cannabis media, what's the best way to get that information? The best way uh, would be go to Cannabis.media, so that's cannabis with a Z dot media. They can also reach us at sales at cannabis.media or give us a ring at 203-653-7975. I love it. I'll make sure that all of that information is in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I love the kind of the the detail that you know, that you're dealing with and how collecting all this information. You know, I think so much of this industry is going to be driven by data and really kind of developing the insights that come from data. So, you know, important work and I appreciate Appreciate your time today. All right. Thanks, Bruce. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.